Park manager called me and he says, uh, have a position that we'd like you to come work for us um, in Vantage, Washington. Yeah. And I thought, Vantage, Washington. Okay, that, I'm do, not familiar with it, but okay. <laughs> and I said, can you kind of describe the area? And he says, well, it's sort of a dry desert environment. Well, Brandon, you have to understand that my experience in Washington has only been Western Washington. <laughs> and so my interpretation, if you will, of what he shared was, that must be like a dry pine forest or something like that. <laughs> hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 135 of the Camino Voice. Today I speak with the retired regional director for Washington State Parks. Please welcome Eric Waterloo. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Um... I'm still excited that I have the new intro. So uh, I had it on the last podcast, but if you missed that, uh, we have it on this one too. So anyways, uh, let me know what you think. Voice at commandocommons.com. Um, love to hear what you guys think about that. And uh, anything else, you know, like if you guys have suggestions or um, just comments or uh, anything else. Yeah, love to hear from you guys. Um, all right. So today I got to interview Eric Waterloo, who is a ret- uh, the retired regional director for Washington State Parks. Um, so he was also a park ranger um, and kind of worked his way up, uh, actually really worked his way up from being a temp uh, employee of the Washington State Parks uh, or a temp ranger and then all the way to being the regional director. So kind of the whole gambit. Um, and in that, he lived uh, all over Washington State, uh, including on the peninsula, some of the San Juan Islands, eastern Washington, uh, all over the state. And so... Uh, at the peak of the time that he was the director, he had about 240-some-odd people that were working below him. Um, and in that, most of those people are working, you know, it's not like a corporate, you know, business where there's a lot of people working in one central area. Um, but instead, these people were scattered all throughout Washington State. Um, so we get into kind of how did he keep up morale, communication, uh, and uh, keep an overall team spirit uh, across so many people across such a distance. Um, so we get into all of that and more. He also was the director during some very difficult financial times for the Washington State Parks. Um, and so, um, anyways, we get into how did he handle all of those different situations uh, and that. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Eric Waterloo. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today, I'm here with a retired park ranger. Welcome to the podcast, Eric Waterloo. Thank you very much, Brandon. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Eric. Oh, um, I was raised in Southern California, born in 1954, and stayed in uh, the Long Beach area of Southern California until I was about 21 years old, something like that. Um, had two siblings, a younger sister, younger brother, uh, parents were both teachers, mom, an elementary school teacher and, and dad, a music teacher in high school and junior high. Um, growing up, I 
played piano and cello, and by the time I got into high school, cello just wasn't so cool, so I sort of quit it. <laughs> and about the same time, I became interested uh, in the rock group The Who, so from cello to The Who. Nice. Very cool. And um, when I was doing my research for this podcast, I found out this isn't your first podcast. It's not my first podcast? No, I saw another interview you had uh, online. It was in like 2014. It was a long time ago. Oh, Brandon, you're trusting my memory. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I found you. I think it's a it's it was a podcast that's based on like park rangers. And right, right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, A former colleague had started a podcast. a podcast called the Park Leaders Show. Okay. And so he reached out to people in the field from all over the country and and I believe Canada as well, national parks, regional parks, state parks, <clears throat> uh, county parks, and just did different interviews on um, their areas of, of expertise. And it's it's to me, I've I've provided the the link to a number of people. Um, who are coming up in the field of parks and recreation because mm-hmm. I just found great value in that. Yeah. Well, and it, uh, it was neat going into my research. Like, he's been doing it since way back then, and uh, uh, at least he's released episodes in this year. So, like, he's still going with it. Yes. Um, Excellent. So, it's really cool. I love seeing podcast shows that just have continued to go because yeah. a lot of I've seen a lot of shows kind of start and then end. Um, so, it's neat to see ones that have just been going for, for so long. Yeah. So it's very cool. All right. So um, growing up in Southern California, did you do a lot of outdoorsy things growing up then? I didn't. Um, I was pretty much living in a suburb, um, had a number of people, uh, guys my age, so we hung out together. But the most outdoorsy thing we did was when the uh, weather warmed up, we would head to the beaches and uh, lay out there and uh, get blistered in the sun and body surf. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So then, as you were getting to the end of high school, then um, did you go to college? And yeah, I did. I did. Um, right out of high school, I uh, went to the local community college, Long Beach City College. At the same time, I moved out of my parents' house because I wanted to be independent. <laughs> got an apartment, um, had a car, and realized I need to support that habit. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, got full-time work working in a film processing laboratory. Wow. And I noticed you squint, film. Have you heard of film? It's, <laughs> it's, it's back there, but like um, processing Kodak film, that sort of thing. Wow. Work in the swing shift, um, taking a full load at the community college like all my friends did, and ended up <clears throat> dropping most of those classes because I couldn't do both. Okay. And so... Um, Spent a second year at the community college, same deal, just kind of wandering aimlessly, wondering what what I was going to do. Yeah. So then what, what kind of, uh, what would you decide to do then? How did you kind of spark that new interest? So um, one of the classes I took at uh, Long Beach City College was Field Natural History of Southern California. And it was a biology class, but it focused on um, the different biomes in, in California. So... For a period of weeks, we would study the San Bernardino Mountains, and and then we would take field trips up into the mountains. We would um, look at the mud flats in Southern California, study those, and then field trips there. Well, we did um, a study along the uh, 
central coast of California and ended up at Morro Bay, California. Okay. And we were camping in Morro Bay State Park. And I recall that um, I had parked my car somewhere that uh, was evidently not the legal spot to park. (laughs) And a park ranger stopped by to chat with me. (laughs) And we just started talking. He, you know, politely asked me to move my car and we started talking. And the more we talked, I started to interview him about, so so now wait a second, you get to live in this beautiful place, work in this beautiful place, and talk to people about nature and how they interact with nature? That's what initially sparked my interest. Okay. A few weeks later, and this is, this is a sort of a bizarre side note, a friend of mine, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do the upcoming Friday, and he says, hey, you want to go <clears throat> see this seer? That my mom goes to? And I said, what's a seer? <laughs> and he says, oh, sort of like a fortune teller. I said, oh, what the heck, got nothing else going on on a Friday <laughs> night. So he made an appointment with her, and and uh, we ended up going, and I sat with her, and she laid cards out on the table, literally. <laughs> and um, But at one point, she says, I see you in a uniform, but not a military uniform, and in, in kind of a Jeep type truck. So that was just a little side note. And I thought, okay, all right, all right. So anyway, um, it was that conversation with the ranger that led me to say, this is what I think I want to do. And so I got out of the apartment, moved back home to my parents' garage, knuckled down um, in my education at the community college, took all the courses I needed to transfer to to a four-year college, mm-hmm. and finally received my two-year degree after four years. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So then um, uh, just jumping back real quick, um, because I have forgotten a lot of my science and biology classes, What can you remind me, what are biomes again? Boy, you know, I probably can't. But essentially, <laughs> my recollection is is it's the, it's the um, entire temperature, um, um, food chain, interactions. I know this is the wrong definition, and your <clears throat> listeners are going to say, he has no idea what he is talking about. But um, for lack of a better word, it was essentially the environment, like I said before, of, <clears throat> of the mountains, the animals, plant life that were involved there. Okay. So I, that's my best yeah. guess at recalling what a biome Yeah, is. so it's kind of like a step back, one step back from ecosystem. It's like a step yeah. above that. Yeah, and in fact, ecosystem might even be a better word for what we were looking at. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So um, when you were looking to transfer to a four-year then, what was at that point, what was your degree you were kind of looking at? I thought, okay, I want to be a forest ranger, so let's find schools that have forestry. And so I found Humboldt State University in, in Northern California, Arcata, California specifically, and uh, transferred up there, um, started my classes, and very soon realized that, wait a second, forestry classes <clears throat> are all about forest production. This is not what I wanted. And, and so essentially, oh, no. you know, Estimating the yield of a certain stand of trees, you know, harvesting, surveying, that sort of thing. And the courses I took were all helpful, but I then changed uh, into what was called uh, resource planning and interpretation. Okay. Which is essentially a uh, general natural resources degree. 
So it was it was well suited to. In fact, a lot of the the graduates from this program ended up in fields like fish and wildlife, parks and recreation, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, um, so as you were kind of going through that degree, was everything kind of lining up more or less of what you were expecting now? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Nice. Yeah. So what did you do once you got out of the, once you graduated? So when I graduated from Humboldt, um, my girlfriend, now wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, moved down to Southern California and I was posted to a job, a seasonal job at Del Norte Coast Redwoods State Park, okay. just south of Crescent City, mm-hmm. and as a seasonal interpreter, um, which was a great job, especially since Redwood National Park had recently been established. And so Del Norte and a couple of other state parks up there were surrounded by Redwood National Park. Okay. And the reason it was such a great job was I got to work with National Park interpreters. Mm-hmm. National Park Service at the time had budget <clears throat> for interpretation. State parks didn't have a lot. So we got to work in teams, and, and uh, I, I got to utilize some of their resources, which was, which was a great, a great uh, benefit. Yeah. And what, what's the job of a, an interpreter for that? Essentially... Um, Interpreting, just like any interpreting, you're trying to help somebody understand, um, you know, if they speak a a different language is one example of an interpreter. Here um, in natural resources, it's it's putting what's happened or happening in the natural resources world into um, words or examples that the park visitor can understand. Okay. Yeah, so it helps them to relate in some way, shape, or form. And, you know... When you're talking to the general public, you have a wide range of audiences. Something that may resonate with you is not going to resonate with your your kids. Mm-hmm. So you have to speak to the different audiences and be prepared to do that. Yeah. So when you were getting started then, were you working as an interpreter or were you working just alongside them? Um, I was actually working as an interpreter that, that first summer for California State Parks, but with National Park interpreters. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> what was that for you like? Had you done where you did a lot of speaking and stuff like that to other people? Um, that's part of what the, what the classwork was all about. Okay. Yeah, there were, there were classes in interpretation. Um, there were classes in, in relating to uh, uh, various people, um, different demographics, that sort of thing. So that was kind of what all the training was. And, of course... Uh, in the in the classwork, you you practice on each other, that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, nice. So once you got into the field, did it feel pretty natural for you to just jump right in? It did, it did. Yeah. Nice. So it, 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 I definitely, <clears throat> definitely realized that conversation with the park ranger. So, you know, down in Morro Bay, um, just led me on the right path. Yeah, very cool. So where did you go from there then? Well, um, my wife um, or my girlfriend at the time had ended up in Morro Bay, California, central coast of California. Um, Her parents had a summer home there, and she was living there because she wanted to finish her degree at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And these these two cities are pretty close together. And so I followed her down there um, and then started looking for work. Here I was with a four-year degree in resource planning and interpretation and couldn't find a job and couldn't find a job. And finally did, and it was working for a recycling firm, (laughs) 
where I would go to a local grocery store parking lot. On Monday, an empty semi-trailer would be sitting there, and as people would come in, I would weigh their aluminum cans, throw them in the back, pay them some cash. And this is what I did for a full-time job uh, Monday through Friday. Come Friday, I did not enjoy the aroma coming out of that that trailer. Stale beer, stale soda, stale juice. So, um, so I did that for a short period of time. And um, then uh, a friend of mine from um, state parks was now working up at Hearst Castle, which is a state monument, Hearst San Simeon State Monument in California. That is north of Morro Bay, California, where we were living. Okay. And I got a job as a tour guide at Hearst Castle. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So I was put through a crash course two weeks uh, to learn all I could about the art in the castle, the Hearst family history, including Patty Hearst and and uh, her history, that sort of thing, um, and then would lead tours of anywhere from 50 to 20 people through, okay. the, through the castle. Nice. Yeah. Did everything come, I guess, your kind of skill set that you had been working on already with the forestry and the interpretation probably all came back into play as far as you got, you were able to tailor all the information that you had already received down to whatever level you were working with, right? Yeah, it certainly helped. Um, um, the artwork, no, I didn't have a whole lot of training in the artwork, but they did a good job of, of training us to uh, at least uh, appear that we knew what we were talking about. <laughs> nice. So... Um, during this time then, uh, your girlfriend at the time, was she still working through her degree and stuff then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, like I say, was at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and, um, we got married while we were down there Okay. and decided that, um, about that same time, um, I had applied for, um, California state park ranger position. Okay. And, um, so I had taken the, the written test, taken the physical test, um, and it came to um, job interviews. I was not selected for interviews uh, because at the time I was not within the demographic that California was looking at. They wanted to d- diversify their, their workforce in state jobs and especially state parks. And mm-hmm. so we we talked and said, we, we need to do something a little different. So... Um, we moved back to uh, Northern California, Humboldt County. Okay. Um, we decided that we would put me through a police academy um, because most state park um, systems require their, their rangers to be certified in law enforcement skills. Okay. And thought if we put myself through that, that would give me a leg up on some others that may not yet have the training save the the state some money in in law enforcement training. So we moved back to Northern California. Um, I had been working seasonally um, for California state parks um, besides the Del Norte, even when I was going to Humboldt State before I graduated um, at Humboldt Redwood State Park, which is the avenue of the Giants. You may have heard of it. Yeah, I've driven through there. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked seasonally down there, as did Carol. And connected with them, and they s- said, yeah, you can live in one of our seasonal housing if you volunteer so many hours while you're going to school. And so Carol and I were able to meet that. Um, she continued back at Humboldt State University again to, to 
finish her degree while I was going to the police academy at College of the Redwoods. Okay. How was that? Because um, you're stepping into a very different world of the people that are going through that, I would assume. How was that for as far as entering into that classroom and all that? Um, it was it was actually not a problem. Um, the number of years I'd been working seasonally for California State Parks, once I decided that park rangering is what I want to do, I was around park rangers all the time. Okay. And knew what their requirements were, knew what their annual training, you know, everyone was carrying a, a sidearm and they'd come back to the office and sometimes share what issues they'd been dealing with. So it wasn't a surprise. Okay. Plus, there were a number of people in this uh, police academy um, that um, also were hoping to become park rangers or fish and wildlife officers. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't a totally black and white different, um, you know, street police officer. Got it. Yeah. Okay, nice. So um, uh, as you worked through that and then as you were graduating that, what, what happened next? So let's see. Had my degree in, in law enforcement. Um, a friend of mine from college had moved to Washington State. Okay. And uh, he said, hey, uh, Washington State Parks is is advertising for park rangers. You know, you ought to apply. And so I did. And they said, hey, come on up um, for an interview. If you pass the interview in the morning, excuse me, if you pass the written test in the morning, then we'll give you an interview in the afternoon. And so that's what I did. Stayed with this this friend of mine. Carol stayed back in Northern California. Um, and a few weeks later, received the results. And a couple of weeks after that, received a phone call saying, we have a seasonal ranger job for you in Washington State Parks. And I said, okay, the park manager will call you. Park manager called me and he says, uh, have a position that we'd like you to come work for us um, in Vantage, Washington. Yeah. And I thought, Vantage, Washington. Okay, that, I'm do, not familiar with it, but okay. <laughs> and I said, can you kind of describe the area? <laughs> and he says, well, it's sort of a dry desert environment. Well, Brandon, you have to understand that my experience in Washington has only been Western Washington. <laughs> and so my interpretation, if you will, of what he shared was, that must be like a dry pine forest or something like that. <laughs> so it was time for me to report to work, um, May 1st, 1983, and I kissed my wife goodbye. She still had some schooling to finish up. Drove my little Volkswagen up and followed the map because there was none of this Google direction at the time. <laughs> Started driving through eastern Washington thinking, okay, I took a wrong turn somewhere. <laughs> this is like Utah. But got to Ginkgo and got oriented and uh, it's uh, Ginkgo Wanapum, uh, Ginkgo Petrified Forest, which I thought was just fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, they put me up in a a stone house that was uh, constructed by the Civilian Conservation Corps okay. back in the 1930s. Wow. Again, I just I felt um, honored to be able to live there and thoroughly enjoyed the first part of my career yeah. at Ginkgo. Um, found out that uh, there were rattlesnakes all over this park. <laughs> and being from Southern California suburbs, I thought, rattlesnakes, if you 
if a rattlesnake looks at you, you're done. You know, I mean, the next thing they bite you and, you, and you're on your way to the hospital. Well, within the two months, I was at uh, Ginkgo Wanapum. I learned how to pick them up with a, a, a little pickup stick, put them in a garbage can, take them to the outside boundaries of the park, dump them, and I was on my way. <laughs> oh. So what, what was that like the first time that a ranger or someone told you, like, no, this is part of your job and you have to do this? Well, specifically the rattlesnake or anything? But the rattlesnake. Okay. Um, well, it, 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 it was okay. Show me how to do it. I mean, this is part of the job. This, you know, I'll, I'll get to it. But um, what also helped me was my background in interpretation and wanting people to understand their relationship with the environment, um, wildlife, plants, that kind of thing around them. All over the park were these red, bright red danger rattlesnake area signs. But we didn't anywhere in the park. And there's even a visitor center, an interpretive center, um, dealing with petrified wood in this park. Nothing about rattlesnakes. And so I asked permission to do an educational panel on rattlesnakes. And, and that they allowed me to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, that was part of the job to move the snakes. But at the same time, I kind of turned a little bit and was able to learn more about rattlesnakes for myself and the public. Uh, for example, I learned that rattlesnakes um, tend to den um, on south-facing rock slopes. Okay. And that CCC structure I told you about I lived in mm -hmm. um, was uh, built on a south-facing rock slope. So after <laughs> I learned that, where I used to just go bounding up the walkway into my house when I got off work at 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> I now walked very slowly with a flashlight. <laughs> All right. So, um, so you were staying up there then what happened as you were kind of going through that then when did you transition either to continuing to stay up there or, or what happened next? So, um, I was there at the, at the, at the right time. Um, within two months, there was an advertisement for a permanent ranger position. Cause again, this was seasonal permanent ranger position at Lake Wenatchee state park. Um, and so I applied for that and thought I would go up and check out the park the, the night before my interview because I hadn't even seen it. Drove up through Leavenworth and Tumwater Canyon and here I'm coming from this desert environment <laughs> into that environment thinking, this is nice. I could, <laughs> I could do this. And then got to the state park and I had requested that I go on patrol that night where, while I was camping. Um, with whoever was on duty just to get a better feel for the park. Well, it turned out I was on patrol with the park manager. Okay. And so we had a chance to chat even <laughs> before the interview, got to know each other. By the end of his shift, he says, you want to come over and meet my wife and have a beer? And, <laughs> and so uh, had the interview the next day and, and got the position. And nice. Yep. It, it, was, it was a great experience and... In Washington, doors just continued to open up and open up. Uh, a year and a half after I had been in Washington State, California State Parks called up and said, we have a job for you at Humboldt Redwoods State Park. You want to come back? And I said, sorry, Washington's been too good to me. <laughs> Very cool. So was that, because um, you hadn't really been up to Washington other than you came up for the temporary thing, was that, diff like, how did your wife, or at the time, or yeah, how did your wife 
kind of take to all of that of deciding, hey, we're moving up to Washington? Yeah. So um, she <clears throat> was raised in Southern California. Um, we met at Humboldt State University up in the Redwood country. Um, we had visited friends in Washington even even prior to um, that job interview where I stayed with, with the one friend. So we had had Thanksgiving with them a couple of times. So we had been to Western Washington. Also, her family did a lot of backpacking when she was a kid up in the mountains. Okay. And that Morro Bay place on the beach, that was her favorite spot, still is, in the world. Um, so... Moving north to a place like Western or, or Washington State, she was all for it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So um, so you you got the um, the position, the full-time position in Washington State, um, and that was based out of Wenatchee? But Actually, it was at, at Lake Wenatchee State Park. Okay. So we had housing in, in all the parks <clears throat> we lived, and we had housing within the park. Um. So, and, and the various parks are managed by regional offices around the state, and the regional office was in Wenatchee. But we lived right there in, um, at Lake Wenatchee State Park. Uh, the closest town was Leavenworth, a half hour away. Yeah. And um, so we would do some visits to, to, to Leavenworth, but most of the shopping was down in Wenatchee that had more to offer, if you will. Yeah. You can only get so many nutcrackers. <laughs> So, um, what happened next then? You were working for this, this, uh, in this position for a while then. Where'd you go next? Yeah. So, um, in Washington state parks at the, at the time, you could not promote within the state park. It was, uh, that, that you were working at. You generally had to move to another state park and promotion meant more responsibility, but also more, uh, a greater salary. And we were starting a family. Our first child was born while we were at uh, at Lake Wenatchee. And so I promoted to Squim Bay State Park um, over on the Olympic Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there at Lake Wenatchee. We were there for about two years, Squim Bay State Park, for a little over two years. Okay. That was a little different dynamic because we were closer to the city of Squim and... So within 15 minutes, we could be in town and discovered for the first time in our lives, 24-hour grocery store. Oh, my goodness. So that was a bit of a benefit. Um, And we enjoyed exploring the Olympic Peninsula. Wherever we lived, we enjoyed exploring. Um, Our second daughter, second child, was was born while we were at SQUIM. Okay. And um, then from there... um, Interviewed for a position at Moran State Park in Orcas Island. Okay. Again, a promotion. Um, and got the job over there and, again, got to live in a CCC-built structure. This was a log building, um, open beam ceiling, stone fireplace, stonework. And I think a lot of... of your listeners as well as yourself are familiar with what the Civilian Conservation Corps did back during FDR's era. Um, that that whole program was set up to give young men work to send back home during the Depression. Okay. And these people from all walks of life learned a trade to be able to build these structures that are now throughout many of our national parks, okay. our state parks, our regional parks, and 
and they're a legacy and, and to be able to live in one uh, again was an honor so yeah so we were at Moran for about five years um, and um, had interviewed for a position uh, for the manager position there and did not get that and thought well <clears throat> maybe I need to practice on my interview skills so we interviewed over in eastern Washington um, for a position at uh, Lincoln Rock State Park. Okay. And I felt like I flubbed the interview, but um, kept talking, and they kept asking questions, and we got the job there. And so we moved to Lincoln Rock State Park, and that was, again, a, a promotion. A larger area consisted of a couple of parks that I was responsible for. And um, so that that drew an end to our living in parks. Okay. From there, um, we were there about five years. From there, um, we had uh, I had interviewed for a position in Burlington, Washington, at the Northeast Northwest Region Headquarters um, for an assistant region manager position. Okay. Nice. So, what was the the assistant region regional manager position then? Well, there are actually three different assistant region managers Okay. for the region manager, and one person was in charge of finances, one person was in charge of maintenance, and my position was more in charge of the, the operations of, of state parks, and so each of us would supervise different park managers, but the overall responsibility for the park operations, I would often um, kind of be the lead on, if you will. So um, it was it was essentially being being the link between the the region manager and the parks and and what they were doing for for public service. Okay, nice. So then, when you moved into that position, was that over a lot? Were I guess were you would you, like an org chart, whatever? Would you be considered like over these different groups and stuff, or was it just mainly the communication piece to it? The communication piece. Except I did have about five park managers who were my direct reports. Okay. The maintenance assistant region manager had five, and and the finance assistant manager had five, or whatever the number was. Yep. So how did that, um, uh, when you were kind of uh, managing, these people are all kind of all over the state then. How did you kind of maintain um, team unity and just kind of keep morale and all of that? So... Let me let me continue just a little okay. bit, if if I can. So, eventually, the region manager retired. I interviewed for the region manager position. Okay. And the reason I want to 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 go this route is I have a, a little better illustration to to, oh, to to get to your question. So, um, he retired. I got his position, and it was changed to a region director position. Okay. And what was once just in charge of park operations in the Northwest region turned into park operations and parks development, which is more um, the folks that design um, new parks, the (coughs) folks that will contract out for sewer water, um, remodeling, that that kind of thing. Um, And... So the region director was overseeing all of this. Okay. So at the height of that position, 
I probably had, if you include the seasonal park age, 245 people under my chain of command. Okay. Now, these were not my direct reports. Right. Okay. Under, under that structure of region director, um, I only ha- still had about six direct reports. Yeah. And so your question goes back to, um, you know, how did I communicate? How did we keep morale going? Well, it, it really depended on how I communicated with my direct reports and shared what I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I was sharing with them what my supervisor in Olympia wanted to see. These direct reports would then work with the park managers under them um, and then get it down to their staff. Okay. So that's the messaging component of it. But there's there's a lot more as far as morale goes. Um, I would schedule regular visits at least once a month to every park. And wow. at the height, because state parks reorganized a number of times over the years, and just when I got into the region director position, they they eliminated a regional position and combined it, divided it and combined it into two other regions along with the parks we already had. Okay. So there were probably 24 parks I was overseeing. Okay. Okay. So I would go out and visit these parks, um, walk through with the park manager, you know, chat with staff as, as I saw them. But I would also show up unannounced, and I would just wander through and see staff doing what they do and just introduce myself and chat with them. The <laughs> campground hosts the volunteers, the, the same thing. Um, and lastly, I think what helped morale um, in, in my mind, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy thinking, hey, I'm, I'm promoting morale. I have no <laughs> idea what they said. Um, but I would, uh, I would ask them to assign me to work a Friday or evening shift alongside one of their staff. Okay. It could be a seasonal park aide. It could <clears> be a park ranger. And so I was with them cleaning restrooms. I was with them picking litter. I was with them on patrol in the campground. Again, um, Wanted them to understand that, hey, I came up through the field. I understand what you're doing, and you know, tell me, tell me what you're thinking. What do you think of this job, and that that kind of thing. Yeah. And do I have one time for one anecdote? Oh, yeah. yeah. Washington State budget has gone through all sorts of sites, all sorts of cycles through the years, and at one particular low time. State Parks was not receiving a whole part, a large part of the budget pie. Yeah. And so it was important to me that our staff, all the way down throughout the chain, understand that we we need to be doing better on making sure our customers not only come, but have a good time, come back. Yeah. And so I came up with this, this little poster about the size of a bumper sticker. And... What it said on it was, what will you, and you is capitalized and under, underlined, what will you do to enhance, and that's underlined and capitalized, a visitor's experience? What will you do today to enhance a visitor's experience? And these were posted just as staff walked outside their shop door or their office door because I wanted them to think about that. 
And periodically I'd hear stories about, wow, you know, I helped somebody find their campsite. You would assume that <laughs> that we were doing that anyway, and in many places I I assume we were or thought that we were. Um, but there were, I guess, these random acts of staff kindness that that seemed to resonate, and, and I still hear about it to this day that people are still having those posted in their in their offices so that's great i think that helped in morale so yeah yeah well and so there's a lot of things that you said in that that i think are very important of um you were obviously you were very intentional uh, from the top down to make sure that you interacted and saw the the people that work because um you know in, in in a company you've got all these different layers that you're working through and you've you're trying to you know, have little touches here and there with, with all your team. Um, but it's hard. There's obviously, there's a lot of work that you're doing because you're at the top. There's a lot of different things you're doing. Um, but <clears throat> that's difficult in a business where you're all in the same building. And you're talking about doing this in a regional over the course of a, over the land area of a whole state. Yeah. And um, I think it's, it, it's always, it's always encouraging to me to see that no matter what your land area is, no matter where, how you're leading, you can always make that a priority. You yeah. can always make sure that your team feels needed, wanted, and um, encouraged. Yep. Um, I was wondering about that too because you did. You were kind of the manager or the regional director um, during some of these like crazy financial times. Um, how did you kind of help encourage your team and stuff during those times? Because like it's not something that you're in control of. Like you can't work harder to sell more something to keep the staff. It's out of your control. Yeah. <clears throat> Certainly it was, it was maintaining communication. Um, there were some difficult times where um, permanent staff had been offered seasonal positions because we had to eliminate. So, um, it was, you could share what was on your heart um, that, you, you know, you were sorry these things were happening, but that only goes so far when it's somebody who has been in a permanent position for a number of years has now been offered a seasonal position. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know that I really encouraged people mm -hmm. other than there may have been messages that we will get through this, but again, to the person that was um, being directly affected I'm not sure how much comfort that was mm -hmm. um, we certainly tried to when we could and and we did do this in a number of parks was close off some areas that perhaps you know that doesn't bring in any revenue and yet you are uh, your, your staff is out there cleaning that restroom your staff is out there um, maintaining these areas mm -hmm. let's close these off does that does that make sense at the same time the public is still going to go into these areas they may not be able to drive into these areas but they're going to walk they're going to want to use a restroom where no restroom exists so mm -hmm. you know tried to tried to meet that fine line to keep things safe and sanitary but at the same time reduce costs and reduce the burden on the staff and say you don't have to do this every day in this particular area. Yeah. So that's some of the things we tried to do. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's an important piece of leadership as well. I think, um, you know, I, I feel like in general I'm a upbeat person, and so I try and make everyone upbeat and stuff like that. But there are times, um, I mean, we've gone through it in the last two years, where there's just, it's not about making someone happy or upbeat again. It's it's more being with them. And, yeah, and yes, just, yes. Um, you know, kind of experiencing it with them and saying it's okay to be upset right now. It's okay to yep. not be okay. Yeah. So um, that's very cool. So in the time that you've obviously gone all over Washington State, what are some, um, like, hidden areas that you really, like, that people maybe wouldn't generally go and explore and stuff like that? I think um, one of the first ones that jumps out to me is, is uh, Kukatali Preserve. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's on the Swinomish Indian Reservation, and it was a collaboration, the first in the, uh, in the United States, um, between a state agency and the Swinomish tribe, or and a tribe. Um, and state parks and the tribe co-own and co-manage this preserve. Okay. And I think you said hidden gems or, 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 or <clears throat> nice areas. This is out of the way. It's strictly a day-use park. Um, there are quiet trails that lead to, to beautiful views. It's just... It's a nice little getaway and not that far from from um, the Skagit Valley or, or your listeners, really. Well, yeah. some of your listeners on Camino Island, yeah, it'll be a little bit of a drive. But. <coughs> um, another, I say Moran State Park. Moran State Park on Orcas Island, it's not a hidden gem. Yeah. Um, but again, we lived out there five years and it has its hidden gems within it. Um, there is a trail that goes from Cascade Lake, where we lived, goes up to Mountain Lake, and then up to Twin Lakes. And Twin Lakes are on the backside of Mount Constitution. Okay. I would leave the house in the morning with my fishing rod and lunch, and I would hike up this trail, um, hardly encounter anyone at all, get up there to Twin Lakes and fish most of the day for brook trout, it was just serene. It's just, yeah, again, you and the trees and, and of course, the trout most of the time. So, no, that's a, that's, that's a nice little getaway for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, there's, um, Washington is, I mean, there's a lot of, I guess all, some states have some nice hidden things, but I feel like Washington has so such a broad range of um, it climates, environments, and everything, yeah. especially as you get through those the San Juan Islands and stuff like that. You just get these weird weather patterns and climates, like microclimates, and um, they're just things that you won't, even if you live in bigger states or, you know, other states along the ocean, you're not going to see some of those things. Yeah. You mentioned the San Juan Islands, and a couple of gyms over there are state parks. <coughs> um, Susha Island State Park and Jones Island State Park. You have to have a boat or access to a boat, kayak, to get out to these things. But it, it, they're magical once you get there. And that was one of the benefits of my job was, you know, I'd contact the park manager and I, you know, I think I need to go see the islands. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was part of my regular park visits, but I always enjoyed going out there and just just interacting with the visitors and, and what was there. So that yeah. was nice. Very cool. 
All right. Um, and then do you have a, a favorite memory or story of being a park ranger? Boy, there, um, there, are, there are so many different memories. One of, <laughs> one of my favorites, I think, is just walking through the campground on a Saturday morning, smelling the coffee and the bacon, seeing families Grandma and grandpa with grandchildren or aunts and uncles or who, whoever or friends gathered around the campfire just starting their day and just talking, just interacting. You know, they're going to go out and do things or stay right there. But that to me was, was, was really my favorite memory. Not, not one single memory, but just that general category. I yeah. just, that's what I enjoyed about it. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I I always enjoy camping. Um, uh, We like hiking and and doing the more intense type things as well, but um, our kids are young, so we're still not quite there yet. But Mm -hmm. um, I always, I I, I think camping is a very, uh, it's always fun because it's, um, there's always the aspect of something always gets forgotten. Um, Yes. (laughs) And so you always have to figure out, a way to fix a small problem Yeah, that like, it's something you never encounter at home, but then you and the kids and everyone get to try and figure out like, okay, we forgot this part. <laughs> How do we make this? Yeah. Work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's all part of the adventure of it. Yep. Yep. No. And many times as a, as a, as a park ranger, I would happen upon somebody who's never set up their tent before. <laughs> You know, or somebody who has forgotten this, and we would always try to help them out again. You know, enhance their experience, but even even without that thought in our head, just being a good public servant mm-hmm. to make sure that that say someone like you, the dad who is frustrated because <laughs> he left something behind, <laughs> we made it all better or helped to make it better. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Well. Um, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So the first one is what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I've been doing some remodeling work at home, minor remodeling work inside. And so I haven't really enjoyed those purchases. <laughs> but last Sunday, um, the ladies in my family were attending a bridal shower for our youngest daughter. And so I took myself out to a local brewery and bought myself a $6 Scottish ale. Nice. I enjoyed that. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Um, Who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? There was an instructor way back at Long Beach Community College. Her name was Judy Ramos. And she was the one that was actually teaching that field natural history of Southern California. I was working the the, the late nights, and um, I overslept during the final. And I showed up after the final was over. She understood my situation, and she allowed me, even though there were rules about you miss the final, you're done, or you miss the test, she let me take the test. And that's always resonated with me, that, that her kindness and understanding. And uh, to this day, I, I remember that often. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. <clears throat> okay, this is a fill-in-the-blank question. Um, 
I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to design museum displays. Um, primarily museums that deal in history. Okay. Yeah. Um, history just has always intrigued me. And this probably harkens back to my interest in, in resource interpretation. But I want to design or always wanted to design displays that would help people understand what they're looking at or the context of the people who use these things, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. All right. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? I have a, a friend um, that I met many years ago at our church. Um, his name is Alan Mua. Now, I was working in state work. He was working for community college, and he had a good position with a good salary and benefits, and he was raising, a, he and his wife were raising their son, and he up and quit the job because he and his wife had decided to form a nonprofit to assist those who are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction. They actually set up recovery houses. Okay. And to me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a, boy, I got to make sure that, that I have all the finances I need. And he just kind of, they both took, <clears throat> it, took this leap and it's been very successful. I think he would have a lot of stories to share. Yeah. Very cool. All right. And lastly, uh, what piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self? <laughs> that was a long time ago, Brandon. <laughs> I think at the time, I, I, I would say always consider others first. Mm -hmm. I don't think I did that at that age. And uh, also um, just don't take risks, especially when it comes to health and safety. Because I think I took a lot of those at that time, you know, the young and invincible. So those are the two pieces uh, I, would, I would give myself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Brendan. I appreciated being here. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Eric Waterloo for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, reach sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. That's CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.